certainly easier than skiing or snowboarding. And I got the bruises to prove it. Amen. That being said, it wasn't all bad. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. But it's a scary thing when you get going too fast down a hill. And there's all kind of people in the landing area down there. You don't want to kill nobody. And you can't slow down enough. Are you with me? Say amen. And I had a spiritual application about that. Don't start something that you can't stop. <laughs> don't get going so fast that you can't slow down in time to slow down. Now, they had, you know, on Sugar Mountain, and, and, and we wasn't on the big slopes. Don't let nobody fool you. We wasn't on Black Diamond or nothing like that. But coming down this hill, you know, I skateboarded, you know, in, back in the day. <laughs> and so that wasn't too bad, so I tried to snowboard out. Everything went all right. And then Adam said, next day, I said, Daddy, you need to try to skis. It's going to be a whole lot easier. I said, all right. So I got to skis. And so they said, here's the deal. Said, it's real simple. You put pressure on your right foot, you turn left. No big deal. And it looked real easy. And then you put pressure on the left foot, turn right. You know, you can just sort of get pigeon-toed and sort of slow down. But you got to remember, you do that slowing down, you better keep this balance or you go all the way on over or you sit down. Well, I had this wild idea. I'm seeing people just carving it out, you know. And I said, man, I'm just going to, I'm going faster than I want to go. I'm uh, more scared than I want to admit. And I decided I'm going to put the pressure on this one right here. I got this whole path right here. I'm going to just turn. And I did. But I didn't power slide. I didn't turn hard enough to stop, I just turned hard enough to do a good power turn and right off the edge of the mountain, the last thing I remember seeing, there's barricades and I'm grabbing on to everything. Y'all with me? Say amen. And I learned something valuable. Those barricades, those orange little fences, they're not there to stop you. They're there to let you know that that's where you're going to go off the mountain. So I took one of them with me and I dug my poles in real deep. And I'm looking down. Now, it ain't like a fall is going to kill me. It's just going to embarrass me to death because it's about 30 feet. And it's a good slide down to a creek. Y'all with me? So I've determined that skydiving's got to be safer than that. I'm just going to stick with that. But anyway, it's a real thrill to be back in the house of the Lord today. And um, last Sunday, we had a wonderful, wonderful message. And um, I had so many comments that people have sent me or messaged me or talked with me in person about. And we talked about... God wanting to do a new thing. Of course, it was New Year's Day, and so we talked about new years and new things and new opportunities and new dreams and new hopes. And then I just let you go ahead and know the fact that you will not realize a new dream or a new hope or a new aspiration or a new height doing things the way you've always done them. Jesus said to us that we cannot put new wine, and we compare that to, to new things, new visions, new hopes, new dreams. We cannot put those new things in the old wineskin because if we do, the wine that ferments is going to burst the brand, I mean the old skin, and the wine and the skin is going to be lost. And so what I said to you last week was if you continue trying to do what you've done for years and years, and that's why New Year's resolutions become New Year's lies around the second week in January. Because people want to do a new thing, but they want to keep acting the way they used to act. They, they really want to start saving, but they don't want to quit spending. They want to lose weight, but they don't want to quit eating, and they don't want to go to the gym. They want to do certain things, but they, they will not discipline themselves to do it. So today, I want to bring you to the new series, this brand new series we're opening, entitled Refocus. 
Now, if you were driving in this morning and you noticed our billboards, you probably looked at it and said, man, have I got my glasses on right? And then you saw right in the middle where it was focused and in the periphery was kind of all messed up. Now, I've got a couple of pictures here I'd like to show you. I don't know if they've got them back there or not, but there, there's one. That's pretty nice. Uh, you see in the periphery how things are, but you see how blurred that is? You can't make out any real detail. And some of us are grasping at a dream that we can sort of see like that. There's no real detail. There's no real refinement, um, and we need to focus. There's another one that actually says focus, and uh, you, you get the idea. It's more than just seeing something because I can see something. That don't mean I focused on it. Because like right now, out of my peripheral vision, I, I can tell what's happening on that side and what's happening over here, but I'm not focused there or there. I'm focused right through here. It's kind of like the difference in hearing and listening. Husbands, you know. Your wife said, honey, would you take out the trash? And you heard her. You just weren't really listening. And I told my wife the other day, I said, listen, you told me a few weeks ago, don't worry about it. You ain't got to tell me again. I'm going to get to it. Are y'all with me? I did hear you. Uh, I just hadn't got around to it yet. And so, but anyway, I want to talk with you about focus in this entire series. And here's, here's our verse that's going to go throughout the month of January. It comes out of Hebrews chapter number 12, reading verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded, we are surrounded. What does that mean? We, we are surrounded. It's a past participle, if you will, or actually acting as an adjective uh, to describe uh, what's surrounded. He said, we're surrounded by what? By witnesses. We're surrounded by people, he says, by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us now throw off. In other words, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, uh, let us throw off everything that hinders, watch this, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin, and I think I might have told you NLT, but I'm reading the NIV, I'm sorry for that, that's on me, not on tech department. So uh, he said, but let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles, watch this, and let us run, let us run with perseverance, what? The race that is marked out before us. Let us, we've been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, he says. He said, so now let's throw off everything that hinders us. Do you know what a runner wants to do? You know what a swimmer wants to do? A swimmer throws off everything. In fact, almost all their clothes. Y'all seen them people that swim. So they even shave their legs. Men shave their legs and their chest. And they put on these little tight hats so they don't want no drag so that they can be so slick gliding through the water. Y'all with me? That's right. They don't want no drag. And what the writer is telling us here is for us to throw off every weight. Let us throw off every sin. Let us throw off everything that entangles us. I'm getting somewhere. I promise I hadn't lost my mind. So he says, and let us run with perseverance. What does that mean? To persevere means if you get knocked down, get back up. With perseverance, this race 
that is marked out for us. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Christian race. We're talking about this Christian run that we are in. Since we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are in a run. We're in this race, and it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. Are you with me? And there's going to be things that beset us. There's going to be things that's going to trip us. There's going to be some drag that we're going to have to throw off and cast out of the way. Anything that's weighting us down. I know stock car drivers, you might not know it, but, but they're very meticulous about the weight of that vehicle. They don't want anything in that vehicle that does not have to be in that vehicle. They want to make it out of the lightest materials possible. Why? Because it is drag that holds them back. It is weight that costs them fuel, which costs them seconds or hundreds of a second or even thousands of a second and they could lose that race. And so he says to us, and this is what we're going to talk about when we refocus this, this January. He says, throw off everything that hinders us and the sin. Did you know there are things in your life that are hindrances? They're not sin, they're just a hindrance. Someone said, well, pastor, you can't show me where drinking is a sin. And you're absolutely right. But I bet I can show you it's a hindrance. You don't believe it. How much did that DUI cost you? I bet it hindered your budget. I bet it hindered your opportunity to get a CDL. I bet it hindered, are you with me? Say amen. Pastor, you can't show me where this or that or the other and what I'm doing is sin. And it might not be sin, but it could very well be a deep hindrance to you. And Paul said, or rather the writer of Hebrews says, let us throw aside all the weights, all of the hindrances and the sin. There's some things that it is not a sin for me to do. I just don't want to have to answer all the questions if I take my liberty to do it. Okay, I, I'm trying to get through my text here and then we'll dive into what I want to show you today. Let us run with perseverance. The race is marked out for us. Here we go. Here, here's what I want you to see right now. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. NLT says keeping our eyes on Jesus. NIV says Fixing your eyes on Jesus. So see it with me. Let us run with patience the race that is marked out for us, throwing aside the weights, throwing aside the sin and the hindrances, fixing, fastening, staying our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Are you with me? Say amen. So in other words, I'm, I'm saying throughout this entire series, while we're going to cover a few different topics, but the major overarching deal is that we fix our eyes and our focus on Jesus. I'm reminded, and I did not put it in the worksheet, but I, I'll tell you, the apostle Peter was in a boat one day, and they were in trouble. They were laying aside every weight and every hindrance. They were throwing out the tackling because they thought this is where it's all going to go down. What good is the fishing gear for us tomorrow because we die tonight? They started lightening the load of everything. They got rid of all of it, and, and then Jesus come walking to them on the water, and they were scared out of their mind. And they thought they had saw an apparition or something. It was a phantom. And uh, Jesus said, it is I. Be not afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. The apostle stepped right off the bow of that boat, and he began to walk to him on the water. Amen. Defying gravity. You know what he was doing? He had his eyes fixed on the eyes of Jesus. Amen. He had his eyes on Jesus. But the Bible said, but then he heard the wind. 
and he saw the waves. And when he took his eyes off of Jesus, when he let that fixation on Jesus go, and he started hearing the things around him and seeing the things around him more than he saw the master, he began to sink. And Jesus reached to him because he said, Master, help me, I perish. And the Lord lifted him up and said, Wherefore did you doubt? O ye of little faith. Let me give you the mycology phrase. Just keep looking into my eyes, son, and it'll be all right. Focus yourself on Jesus. Let me say this. Some of you, right now, you're focused on everything else in the world. You're focused on a new job. You're focused on a new girl. You're focused on a new guy. You're focused on a new car. You're focused on a new bank. This, that, the other. I'm telling you, the Lord says, if you'll focus on me, that's what the writer meant when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things that you worry about shall be added unto you. What were they worried about? What are we going to put on? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? What are we going to eat? And the Lord says, don't you know that your father knows that you have need of these? But let me say this. Don't worry, he says. Ah, don't worry. He said, because he cares for the sparrow. And I know he watches me. You know what he said? He said, consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil and they don't spin. But your heavenly father makes them beautiful. Are you with me? Consider the birds of the air. They don't plant and they don't sow, but they're well fed and God takes care of them. And I want to tell you something. If you today will decide that I'm going to focus on Jesus, the girl problem will work out. I'm going to focus on Jesus. The work problem will work itself out. I'm going to Focus on Jesus. The car problem will work itself out. The bank problem can work itself out. The diet problem can work itself out. I'm going to focus on what is important, the master and the perfecter of my faith. Well, hallelujah. I want to tell you, some of you are looking into an unfocused dream. You're looking into things and said, if I could just see clearly. Let me say this. If you could see all that's out there, you wouldn't even go. Jensen Franklin told a story one time, and I, I wish I knew the whole of it, but I don't, but I know the gist of it. And he said there was a guide that was taking this group up the mountains, and they took them up the mountain at night. I mean, they, they were, I mean, we're talking about mountain climbing, where you're hooked to this, you know, this rope, and, you, you know, they're going up this mountain, and then when they, they got back and they looked, and they saw where they had climbed, they said, oh, my God. They were only just feet away from thousands of feet of open air just falling to your death. And they asked the guide, why in the world would you bring us up here like this at night? He said, because if you could have seen where we were going, you wouldn't have went. Some of you got some wonderful dreams and it's obscured and it's kind of fuzzed out and you don't really see it. And the reason you can't see it is God knows if you could see it, you'd run. I'll tell you some of the things we ran up on in building this church, God didn't allow me to see it. I wanted God to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and tell me everything, but he wouldn't do it. You know why? He knew I wouldn't go. Here's the deal. Refocus. Refocus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. And then if he goes with me, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what I get in the mailbox. It, wasn't, it doesn't matter what the judge says or the attorney or the banker or the doctor. Wow. So 
it's important. And, and I'm going to read a little bit more, but I, here's what I want to tell you about focus. You need to focus because if you don't focus, um, you're going to mess yourself up. Did you know what? It, it's a clear fact that we move toward what we focus on. That's a proven scientific fact, medical fact, that we move toward what we focus on. Now, I don't recommend you try this, but if you're driving down the road when you leave here and you start looking at something over here, next thing you know, you're in the next lane. Are y'all with me? My wife gets me about that all the time. I told her I'm driving Braille. But anyway, that don't work too good for her. But nonetheless, we move toward what we focus on. The apostle focused on the water and he slowly sinks sank down into the water. And if you will focus upon Jesus, you will begin moving toward Jesus. But let me say this, in every aspect of life, you gotta understand, in order to focus, we need discipline. So what I want you to know today is we need discipline. Now wait a minute, Pastor, I didn't come in January, you tell me, I need some discipline. My dad was the disciplinarian at home. And I remember on vacation this week, I was saying, I'm going to tell y'all, boys, something John Sainz didn't put up with no foolishness. He was pretty hard when it comes to discipline. And Andrew spoke up and said, and Mike Sainz was too. <laughs> so I want to give you, if I may, the root meaning of, the, the meaning of discipline comes from, discipline comes from disciples. That is a Latin word for pupil, which where we also get our word disciple. Are you with me? Say amen. So discipline, watch this, here's the definition. It is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior. Here's where I'm gonna lose you. I, I can guarantee it. Look at your neighbor and say, he's gonna lose me right here. The practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. See how quiet it is? Nobody likes to get a whipping. Nobody likes punishment. I used to hate this, brother Richard. My daddy would tell me if I acted up when we was out somewhere, he'd say, when we get home, you getting a whipping. And it might be four hours went by, and on the way home, we're laughing and we're joking, and then we get home, I might even go to bed. He done forgot about it. He got off from work the next day at three o'clock, come home, and... Man, I'm ready to play ball. I'm ready to have fun. And he said, Michael, come here. You remember last night, I promised you you was going to get a whipping. He started to do I thought we was friends now. Well, we are. But I love you enough to keep my word to tear your tail up. Now, I know that ain't going to be popular, and I don't care. So, um, anyway, I want you to understand something. Discipline is not a bad thing. The Bible tells us, and listen, I'm talking for me and you grown adults too. We need discipline. And children need discipline. Discipline is not a bad thing. In fact, it is the proof that our Father loves us. It is the proof that he loves us. So, so uh, listen, it reassures me. Everybody needs to look at your neighbor and say, you need discipline. Huh. And look back at him and say, you do too. You need some discipline. <laughs> discipline assures me that the one meeting out the discipline loves me. 
<clears throat> I'm going to prove that to you in a moment, so just give me a little bit of credit for a second. If we're going to succeed in everything, we have to be disciplined. Athletes must discipline themselves for training. This includes they have to... To go to the gym, they have to put in so much work in so many reps with so much weight. They have to do this. Quarterbacks have to throw the ball so many times. Batters, if you ever see Kenny Kabilko's post, man, he's batting every day of his life. Rain, hail, sleet, snow, shine, it doesn't matter. He's batting somewhere. Batting practice, hitting that ball, pitchers, pitch that ball, catchers, catch that, whatever it is, but you have to discipline yourself. And if you say, well, coach, I don't want to go to the batting cage, guess what? You ain't going to go to home plate either. You're not going to be in the, you ain't going to be in the lineup because you have to discipline yourself. Listen, not only does the athlete have to discipline himself to bat well and to lift the weights and to put in the time and do the cardio, he also has to discipline himself when he gets to crack a barrel. And he has to say, you know what, this is good for me and this is not good for me. And, and well, give me some of them carrots and spinach or whatever, I don't know. And uh, I, old buddy of mine used to say, if it tastes good, spit it out. If you're on a diet, that's how I say, if it tastes good, spit it out because it, it ain't good for you. But see, we're often under-disciplined. I'm talking about us, grown-ups, under-disciplined. And it goes for every area of our life. And I'm going to show you something. I'm going to prove it to you. So you ain't got to look at your neighbor. You just need to know this is going to hit me. Just pretend there's a mirror right there in front of your hands. Just look right into it. This is going to hit me right here. Here's an example of being undisciplined in many areas. Well, eating and drinking. We're all guilty at times. Our spending habits. Oh, God, I got a dream to be on budget one day. Well, it's got to start today. Hello? It's got to start with cutting out some spending. It's got to start with appointing your dollars and naming them where they're supposed to go because if you don't name them, they get gone and you don't know where they went. Let's talk about discipline when it comes to being a great man of God, a great woman of God. You have to study the Bible. You have to go to Bible study. You need to join a life group. You need to pray. You need to fast. You need to read the word of God. What about physical exercise? You know what? I gave the gym, uh, you know, I gave them a pile of money one year for a couple memberships, and I think I went maybe five or six times. And at the end of the year, I weighed as much or more than I did when I started out, and I was as unhealthy at the end of the year as I was when I started out. You know why? I didn't focus on that gym. I focused on everything else. So, so what I'm saying is this goes all through our life. You say, you well, Pastor, I, I want to do better at my time. Well, you know what? Budgeting your calendar and your time, I have to really think about this because everybody's calling. Everybody needs a few minutes. Everybody needs an appointment. So I have to determine what I'm going to do with the time I have left. Completing my to-do list. Pastor, I really want to do that. Well, are you keeping up with it? It's getting real quiet. Easily distracted and I can't accomplish any goals for today. You know why? You have took your eyes off of what was important. If Jesus is the number one important thing in our life, then you got to look at him. You got to spend some time with him. And, and, and let me show you this, and I, I need to tie this thing up, but here's what I want you to do today. I want you to refocus. Let me read this to you. In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, 
I just, I just want to browse through this scripture. I, I'm, I'm going to start at verse number four since I've already read the, the preceding three verses. But, but this is where it talks about God disciplining his children. He said, after all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one that he accepts as a child. Whoo! That ought to bring a new paradigm to what you're going through. The Lord loves you enough to spank you when you need it. Uh, now, I know we live in this mamby-pamby society now where we don't, uh, Dr. Spock tells us to just be a little time out. And, you know, and listen, I understand we got problems, and I understand we got children that, that, that have special needs, but I also understand we've gone a long way away from correction the biblical way. I'll guarantee you to help our schools immensely if we went back to being a great parent and saying what we mean and meaning what we say and discipline the godly way. God forbid anybody abuse a child. I'll be the first one to smack you down. Amen. We don't abuse children. Although I'm kind of wondering if I was a time or two. But that's the way they used to do it in the old days. Man, they whipped you with whatever was close by. Extension cord, frying pan. Didn't matter. Y'all with me? Broom handle and whatever. I'm not advocating that. Don't get me wrong. Not advocating that at all. He said, but the Lord disciplines those that he loves. You know why? Uh, I'll never forget Carly when she was a little old thing, a couple years old. And man, I got the whipping for this too. I'm in the backyard in Valdosta there, just real close to Wild Adventures, and I'm plowing up a garden. And I heard cars. I said, where in the world's Carly? Kelly left her out here with me. And man, I took off to the front yard and she's standing on the yellow line. Cars backed up three or four deep. Kelly running out the front door about to kill me. And when I got to Carly, I picked her up and I loved on her for a second and I tore her tail up for a second. And then I squeezed her and loved her and then I tore her tail up for a second. I've told you not to get in this road. You know why I said don't get in that road? Because them cars will kill you. And your mama will kill me. Are you with me? Say amen. So, so you got to, you would rather discipline your child than lose your child. Well, let me move on. This is not just about children. This is about grown people. They are struggle against sin. Let me, let me go ahead and read this. Verse 7. He says, uh, well, let me, yeah, verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. He says, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who never was disciplined by his father? <laughs> I know some. I know some. But, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, I can't believe this. Who ever heard of a child? And of course, in that day, you got to understand. Who ever heard of a kid that never got their tail tore up? I'm not politically correct, and y'all know I'm not trying to be. Whoever heard of a father that didn't love their kid enough to, to, to discipline them? He said, if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. Do you know, I believe the King James talked about being bastards, 
spiritually not having a father if, if they're not there to discipline you. I thank God for, and there was one or two times in my career as a child that I did not deserve the whipping. My dad's explanation was, you've gotten away with enough stuff that I didn't know about. Hello? And that was, that was his position, and he maintains it to this day. Verse number eight, if, if he doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and not really his children at all. So if you're not getting a whipping from the Lord every now and then, guess what? You're illegitimate. You're not really God's children. If everything's happy-go-lucky, easy come, easy go, then he's not, you're, he's not being allowed to be the father he should be. God... Uh, Verse 9 says, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of spirits and live forever? Verse 10, for earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best way they knew how. That's exactly what they did. They disciplined us the best way they knew how. It might have been putting your nose in that corner. It might have been doing push-ups. It might have been uh, leaning over here and getting that paddle on your backside. It might have been coming to the schoolhouse as he did for me a time or two and whipped me right in front of the class. You know, it might have been that. Whatever. He said, but God's discipline is always good for us. Look at your neighbor and say that with me. God's discipline. It's always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Oh, that's not next week, but next week. We're going to talk about refocusing on holiness and what that really means. To refocus on holiness and what it means because many of us have lost it. If the Lord will help me, two weeks from today, we're going to refocus on what it means to be holy because He called us to be holy even as He is holy. He says in verse 11, I want you to get this. He said, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. I never stood there getting my tail where I said, Daddy, I sure am enjoying this. Could you hit me a little harder? Now, my little sister who's five years younger than me one time, my mom just got after me and she tore me up good. Kathy wasn't about four years old. She put her hand on her hip and she said to Mama, well, you tried it on him. Won't you try it on me? Mama turned her right around and tore her tail up too. She was crying right there with me. <laughs> no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. While it's happening, I thought daddy don't love me. How in the world he left a whip on my backside like this? How's my leg? You know what daddy say? You stand still, you're gonna get it right here on your backside. You dance around, it doesn't matter to me where it hits you. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that's how it was. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It is painful. Look at your neighbor and say, it hurts. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. That gets my Holy Ghost going. I don't know about you. He said, if we uh, submit ourselves to the discipline of the Lord, it's going to hurt while he's whipping us. It's going to hurt while I'm having to pay back this loan that I borrowed way too much money. It's going to hurt while I'm trying to go say I'm sorry for something I should have never said. 
It's going to hurt when I have to love my brother. It's going to hurt when I got to go make this right. He said, discipline is painful while you're being disciplined, but when you get through with it, when you've gotten through with it and the webs have sort of healed up and your mind has got right, he said, it's going to bring a peaceful harvest of right living. Amen. In other words, God says, I've got your best interest in mind while I'm doing this for you. Now, focus, let me tell you, here's what's going to happen. As you stand with me, focus is going to bring confidence to your life. Focus is going to bring confidence to your life. It's going to clarify your dreams. And when you have fixed your eyes on Jesus, he can can open up more of the the picture and clarify more of the picture because now that he's with you, you'll have confidence in saying, you know what? That was a pretty big old obstacle over there on the right, but as long as I got Jesus with me, I'm good. When you focus on Jesus, Psalm 119 and 105 says, he's a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. As I close, I want to give you an illustration, true, true illustration. In the year 1493, while the troops of Mohammed II surrounded Constantinople in 1493, it's about to be decided if the Balkans will be under Christian or Islamic domination or dominion. A local church council in the region besieged in this besieged city discussed the problems. And here's the problems they were discussing. What color color were the eyes of the Holy Virgin? What sex are the angels? What happens if a fly falls in sanctified water? Is the fly sanctified or is the water polluted? They're on the verge of collapse. They're about to become either a Christian nation or an Islamic nation. And a church council has entertained the color of the Virgin Mary's eyes. Who cares? What are the sex of the angels? Who cares? Is a fly sanctified if he falls in the water or is the water purified? They had focused on the wrong thing. They had focused. They needed to refocus themselves. And what I want you to do today is to fix your eyes on Jesus while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you if you're here today and you say, Pastor, wow, I need to refocus. I need to refocus. I've looked at the wrong things for far too long. But this year, I pledge to fix my eyes on Jesus. How about it? Are you here? Put your hand up with me right now. I see hands going up everywhere. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Church, here's what I want to tell you. If you will fix your eyes on Jesus, these other